Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Luke 19, verse 37 through 48. Listen to the story of Jesus' courage. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, scold your disciples. Tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. He said, if only you knew on this of all days the things that lead to peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely, you and the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visit from God. Let us pray. God, we ask that you would meet us in this space on this Palm Sunday, this Passion Sunday, this Courage Sunday, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive the message that you have to share with us through the profiles of courage that we will hear today. Help us to not only be inspired, but inspired to act, that we might be your hands and feet in this world, that we might be the people who help make your kingdom come. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a um, quasi-indie pop band named OK Go. Has anyone ever heard of them? It's a very small, not very interesting, well, I shouldn't say not a very interesting band, but not a, not a like big name band. Um, some of you may have heard them or seen their videos, which I think is really mainly the thing that has made them um, as well-known as they are. Um, there's one of them where it's just them on six treadmills. Um, and it's mesmerizing. I'd encourage you to <laughs> look it up. Um, and, and it's probably that video, actually, that put them on the map. So anyhow, they continue to have fun with their video making. Every time they come out with a video, it's very clever and interesting. And several years ago, I saw this one for a song called This Too Shall Pass, which will um, come out here. Um, so it starts out with one of the band members uh, in uh, coveralls um, splattered with paint here. And he takes this toy truck and he runs it into a row of dominoes, which starts off this chain reaction. So as I watched this video, um, I was struck by just how mind-boggling and how random and varied all of the parts of this chain reaction involved. Flying umbrellas, falling pianos. The sheer intricacy of each part of the reaction kind of makes you know that this thing was like the investment of a lot of thought and time and effort, hours of preparation, leading to less than a, a less than four-minute video. 
And while the video itself is pretty cool to watch, one of my favorite parts is at the end, right, where um, after the band members are splattered with paint from the cannons, the crowd pans up and shows all these people in gray shirts who erupt in cheers. And there's no sign or explanation, but you kind of instantly know who these people are, right? They're the ones who helped to pull it off. They're the ones. Each person had a part in making it happen. And as I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, meditating on the events and activities that make up the final week of Jesus' life, a.k.a. Holy Week, I've been thinking about Jesus, of course, but I've also been thinking about the people who made Jesus who he was. Obviously, there's God, right? But, I mean, people always talk about God. So, besides God, um, I've been thinking about the people on earth who gave shape to Jesus' human self. What made Jesus, who knew full well what he was getting into, have enough in him to set his face toward Jerusalem? So here he is six chapters earlier. He says, it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, you won't see me until the time comes when people say, blessed is the name of the Lord, right? Blessed is the one... I lost my place. Blessed is the name of the Lord <laughs> um, and the one who comes in the Lord's name. So I can't imagine how sick to his stomach he must have been, actually, as he was going down that parade route, right? He predicted this, hearing these people shouting these words. I don't know. Maybe he felt brave and courageous. <laughs> but if he was really human, I feel like there had to at least have been like one or two gulps, right, while he was riding on that borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. So what made him keep going? What made it worth it to him to keep the, take these steps towards death? So first, love. We see it in verse 41, right, that uh, Michelle read. Jesus weeping over the city, the symbol of his people, the center of his heart. If only you knew on this day of all days the things that led to peace. You could have been so much more. He loved his people. He loved what God wanted the world to be. He believed in the message he was given, the message he proclaimed and embodied throughout his ministry. But for this week, he needed something in addition to love. Love wasn't quite enough. He needed something to strengthen his love and give it shape to help him act on his love. He needed courage. Where did Jesus get that kind of courage from? Who were the courageous people in his life? As he observed Jerusalem at, at the top of the Mount of Olives, did the, did the courage of his mother well up within him? Did he remember her song, her joyful, courageous, magnificent song, magnificent song? With all my heart, I glorify the Lord, she sang. He's looked with favor on the status of his low servant. He shows mercy to everyone. He has shown strength with his arm. He has pulled down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Those were the words that she sang as he was growing in her body. Maybe that was the song. The rhythm of those words were what gave the drumbeat of courage for his feet to follow one after the other as he entered the city. But this was just the beginning. My maternal grandmother gave me a good example of resilience and courage. When I was younger, I saw her recover through a stroke and learn how to speak all over again. Even though she had over 30 grandkids, she still made sure to take the time with each one of us 
cycling through the names sometimes until she got to the right one to encourage and empower us and let us know how much she really loved us and how much she believed in us. When I was a freshman in college, uh, she had another stroke. Uh, and this time, she never regained the ability to speak again. Um, but when I went to see her each time I would come home, uh, she made sure we found a way to communicate. We would write things down. We would use hand signals. And it wasn't for me to tell her so much about what was going on in college as it was for her to tell me how much she still believed in me and how much she saw ahead for me that even I couldn't see yet. She passed away during my senior year of college, but of course she always stayed with me and you know, everybody loves grandma. Um, but when I got to grad school, my first year I was hitting some difficulties and I was really considering dropping out. Um, but it was her voice, even though I hadn't physically heard her voice in years, um, that came to me one night and said, no, you're where you need to be. And I still believe in you and, and you need to remember the courage, remember the resilience, remember the testimony of the things you've seen in me that empower you to keep going. Um, and so that led me to, to continue to believe I was where I needed to be, that I had what it took to be there, even though I didn't see my place in seminary or ministry at the time, she did. Um, and her voice still stays with me to this day as that profile of courage. Luke 19, 45 through 48, listen to the story of Jesus's courage. When Jesus entered the temple, he threw out those who were selling things there. He said to them, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hideout for crooks. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests, the legal experts, and the foremost leaders among the people were seeking to kill him. However, they couldn't find a way to do it because all the people were enthralled with what they heard. Every once in a while you see this flash from Jesus and you see that he's more than just a kind of let the little children come to me teddy bear. Who was it that showed him the courage of holy anger? I wonder if it was his cousin, John the Baptist with his camel hair clothes and his hardcore paleo diet. Maybe the model of courage that John was to him gave Jesus the audacity to walk in and declare truth to power, to declare truth and demand truth from power, no matter how inconvenient or disruptive or inappropriate it might have been. Sometimes all we need is someone to show us how it's done. When I began to think about the character traits of courage and resilience, my mind wandered to many different things during the week. But in the spirit of March Madness and uh, Palm Sunday, I settled on the idea of underdogs. The NCAA tournament is remarkable, and for me, just loving the sport of basketball, it's not hard to understand the draw. But the tournament doesn't just get attention from those who love the sport of basketball. You also seem to get a lot of randoms who just love cheering for the underdogs or whoever they selected in their bracket. Either way, 68 men's teams and 64 women's teams enter the tournament and are given different odds of succeeding or failing. Every single athlete has the courage and the resilience after a very long regular season already to be the one and only champion. Remember, that means there is only one winner. You see displays of fearlessness, stamina, and courage 
as a lot of these games come down to someone being courageous enough to take that last second shot. The ex excitement of the underdog story lies in the fact that every spectator wanting to see the more than quote-unquote average competitor rise to the occasion and outperform a team that is supposed to be better than them, standing up to someone that is perceived to be as better or greater than them. This, for me, was powerful in my life in knowing that the expected doesn't, doesn't always happen. Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. Listen to the story of Jesus' courage. On one of the days when Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests, legal experts, and elders approached him. They said, tell us, what kind of authority do you have for doing these things? Who gave you this authority? He replied, I have a question for you. Tell me, was John's baptism of heavenly or of human origin? They discussed among themselves, if we say it's of heavenly origin, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, all the people will stone us to death because they are convinced that John was a prophet. They answered that they didn't know where it came from. Then Jesus replied, neither will I tell you what kind of authority I have to do these things. Who told you to speak up? Who said it was okay for you to not only question authority, but claim it for yourself? Who said you could be womanish, as some folk might put it? Who gave Jesus the courage to say to even the highest authorities, from chief priests, legal experts, and elders, to the Roman government? If you don't know, I'm not telling. Maybe his mother had told him about the righteous and devout man named Simeon who encountered Jesus just a few days after birth. How Simeon had taken Jesus into his arms and declared, My eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared the salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Maybe that story had been repeated to him time and again, a reminder that he had access to a power far beyond the authority of this world. It can be a dangerous thing in this world to claim your power, especially if people are trying to keep you powerless. But without that kind of courage, we cannot be the people that we were created to be, to do the work that we were created to do. My interpretation of courage would be characterized by others as countercultural. I see courage as a thing. I see courage as a thing that we as people hate to be and try to avoid being vulnerable. Brene Brown asserts that being vulnerable is the best measure of courage, and that courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. To be honest, in thinking about this reflection of courage and resilience, I was immediately brought to a place of thinking of extraordinary, larger-than-life people that I may admire but not necessarily identify with. When I really think about my own life, some of the things and the pieces that stood out for me in regards to the gifts of courage and resilience that has been given to me are not from the extraordinary giants, but from a collective of ordinary people 
living ordinary lives. Despite my own imperfections and failures throughout my life, it has been through these ordinary individuals, ordinary acts of love and courage that has encouraged me to be my authentic self, taught me what true courage is and deepened my own empathy for humanity. These gifts of courage in my life have been a word of peace from my, from my late mother during deep times of fear saying, la paix, bon diable, which translates peace, God is with you. Or a risk taken by one of my past clients for the first time admitting to themselves that they have an addiction and taking the courage to try something new in order to break the chain of dependence. Or it was an example of true vulnerability we're at a meeting regarding the church and mental health. An ordinary church woman opened up about her partner taking their own life due to their own mental illness and deep depression. She used her story, her pain, to address the issue, educate others, and find solutions to bring about holistic healing and restoration. You see, these ordinary gifts encourage me in my own journey to speak my own truth speak my own story, the good and the bad, reach out for support and cling to the saving power of Jesus Christ. My belief is that true courage for us is living authentically, embracing who we are, truly and wonderfully made by God, releasing our shame and accepting that we are enough and letting ourselves be seen and our stories be known. Because when we are exposed, God and God's awesome and unconditional love is exposed. Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through 47. Listen to the story of Jesus' courage. The legal experts and chief priests were watching Jesus closely and sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They wanted to trap him in his words so they could hand him over to the jurisdiction and authority of the governor. They asked him, teacher, we know that you are correct in what you say and teach. You don't show favoritism, but teach God's way as it really is. Does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, since Jesus recognized their deception, he said to them, show me a coin whose image and inscription does it have on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. They couldn't trap him in his words in front of the people. Astonished by his answer, they were speechless. Speechless. This is how Jesus left power brokers over and over again. Because when your spiritual vision can cut through the center of consciousness, an inner eye that is fixed on not what we see, but rather what could be, depending on who you are and where you stand, it can be confusing, enlightening, astonishing, or threatening. It renders you speechless. And speechy people do not like being rendered speechless. <laughs> it is their power. And it is their authority. And when that is threatened over and over again, this is where we begin to enter dangerous territory.
Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the legal experts were looking for a way to kill Jesus because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, who was one of the twelve. He went out and discussed with the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard how he could hand Jesus over to them. They were delighted and arranged payment for him. He agreed and began looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, a time when the crowds would be absent. Jesus knew it was coming. He could see down through the chain reaction right up to the paint cannons, or the cross. He saw it coming as he wept over his beloved city, as he grieved over the broken imaginations of its leaders, as he ached for the fractured souls of his people. He was the only one who could see it, and he knew it. He stepped forward because he could see that the only way to make the wheels stop turning would stop crushing the vision was to insert himself, to make his body the wrench in the system. Who gives you courage? We've heard some stories today. Is it Grant's grandmother? Is it Jean's mother? Is it all the, the soldiering uh, participants and um, athletes of March Madness? that Tracy described? Who are the people who have poured into you? I bet, Rico, I bet it's your grandfather. And Sharice, I bet it's your grandmother. Rich, I know it's your mom. Jackie, I'm pretty sure it's your mom. LV, I know it's your mom. Who gives you courage? Who pours out courage in you? And so after weeping, after grieving, after aching, Jesus raised his face. He gathered the courage gifted to him by all the loving people in his life, Mother Mary, Cousin John, Simeon, and countless others. He gathered his courage. He straightened his back, and he stepped into the city. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the courage that you pour out into us even when we don't feel very courageous. We thank you for the testimonies and the gifts of the people in our lives, or maybe even if we don't have people in our lives that we can point to, we thank you for the testimonies spoken today, that we can borrow the courage that has been poured into the container of this community, and together we can share it, feasting on what it means to live life fully and to encourage one another to live life with deep courage. Help us, God, to be inspired and not just inspired, but inspired to act in whatever way to be your hands and feet, to make this world flourish as you envisioned it so long ago. Stop weeping over us, God. Help us to gather our courage and set our face toward Jerusalem. Amen. <laughs>